Okay, so the joys of learning a new technology. This is Bob Ferguson, and I live in Fairfield, Iowa. And this is the beginning of a series of broadcasts that we're gonna be doing every Monday at seven o'clock called Life with Bob. Now this was instigated because I've started to work with a fellow named Jody Steig who has a project called the Freedom Project and really asked him to help me with my Shackley business, which is the main way that I earn my living and one of the great ways that I actually make an impact in the world. And so we've been talking about this and I'm my editing guy. I like to shoot things or I like to record things. I like to spend time with the editing studio. So doing this live is really quite a deal. But he said, you should do it. So it'd be good for you. So I said, okay, so what should we call the show? And I thought about it a lot and I said, well, how about life with Bob? To give you a little bit of background, I am a Shackley Senior Master Coordinator. I live in the beautiful town of Fairfield, Iowa. I'm the Executive Director of the Sustainable Living Coalition, and I've done a lot of things. I've had a lot of experiences in life. I've learned some things that have been really, really very helpful to me. And so I decided that as a gift to my Facebook friends and maybe to start some discussion and get some things going, that I would do this uh, broadcast probably about 20 to 30 minutes, depending on how verbose I get and whether I have a guest along. And the idea would be to examine from the perspective of my experience in life, what are some of the things that I've found that have really been valuable to me and which things have been formative to me and then go from there. And I have a lot of wonderful contacts all over the country. I do a lot of work in sustainability. I've worked with the Pacific Institute in applied cognitive psychology in the Shackley business, uh, starting with my mother in 1977. So it's been a long standing process. And so the whole idea of health and wellness, both of individuals, of society, as of environment, my whole life has really been steeped in that. So I thought for this evening that I'd start by giving a little retrospective about me, because I think in listening to someone, you know, connecting with them, like to know a little bit about their background and what's going on. And so I thought I would do that tonight. So what about me? Well, it's interesting that I started out life at a really wonderful family. I lived in the Boston area, and my parents were both from farms in Missouri, and brought that kind of aesthetic and background, hard work, and really conservative values. And my father, after World War II, came for a year of postgraduate work at Yale, and didn't go back to the Midwest. So the household I grew up in valued fairness. They valued individual responsibility. They valued love. My dad was a very, very hardworking uh, head of the math department at North High School outside of Boston. My mother was a homemaker. She had a master's in religious, religious counseling from Chicago Theological Seminary and Family Systems. And so, I discovered this, I'm going to read from it a little bit later on. I discovered this after her death a couple of years ago, sitting on the bookshelf. And I opened it up and it was her master's thesis from 1943 in, at CTS. And as, as I started to read it and look at it, I said, boy, mom, I think it might have been a good idea for you to let me read this before now, but never too late. And as I read the pages of this vibrant 23-year-old, I started to understand that a lot of what my mother did was not just things that moms do, although she did a lot of those things, 
But a lot, of, a lot of the elements that made up the sinews of my life as a youngster really came from my mother's theory. It, it, it was theory-based. It wasn't just random. And so when we moved to Wellesley in 1955, my mother, uh, and I was five years old, my mother started to create her vision of the collective. And as I was reading in the thesis, she was phrasing it in terms of the church, but the church as a place where people came to get support. The church is a place where people came to get love. And that's actually what my mother did. That's how she created the environment. She bit about a four or five block area in Wellesley, Massachusetts, became a, a kind of a Midwest farm town where everyone was auntie this and uncle that. And the Christmas party was at our house. Uh, we had a pretty, pretty large house. And so uh, we could get 100, 100 or so, 150 neighbors in there. And the neighbors that didn't have kids would stay home. And the neighbors with kids would go and carol around them and have a big party. We uh, did the after-school party, of course, the party for the math department. But much more than that, my mother was a person who valued fairness in action. And so she was on the League of Women Voters. She was on the dump committee. We had the first recycling dump that actually made money in Wellesley in, uh, in the early 1970s. And so this was the environment I grew up in. Now, I was a restless young man. I was a person who he just wasn't buying the standard line. And I wanted to know, I wanted to deeply understand what the game was here. Why were we here? And I think the standard answers didn't completely satisfy me. And I'm looking at the time and I realized that it probably is going to take two, I would take two hours to do what I intended to do. So I'll kind of hit the high points and then open up as to what we're going to be doing in the future on the show. So I came from that background and I just want to read a little bit from my mom's thesis because I think it, it reflects really very beautifully what she stood for. And so here it goes. It says, introduction, love exists not of itself, but between persons. Persons are more than physical human machines who have needs to be satisfied. They are creative spirits. They are made in the image of God. Part of understanding love in family living is understanding this creative spirit of persons. It is to gain a fundamental respect for personhood and an awe of its worth. But this is not theory we are talking about. These creative spirits are us, parents and children. When we seek to understand persons and how they grow and change, we seek to understand ourselves. Well, nothing much more eloquent need be said in terms of what really drove me a lot of influence from both of my parents, but I think I kind of took on my mother's way of looking at the world. And as one person said, Kay Ferguson could convey more meaning with a lift of her left eyebrow than most people could with many, many words. She was someone who people came to because she could listen absolutely intently like you were the only person in the room. And so this profoundly influenced how I see the world and what I really value and, and how I attempt to treat people. So along the way, I've bumped into a lot of really important things. 
And being a restless young man, just completely dedicated to finding out from myself what the whole game was. Why was I here? Why did I have a body? Why did I have a mind? In that process, I bumped into Transcendental Meditation. I found Transcendental Meditation at age 19, and I started. And I became a teacher at age 22. And that was perhaps, other than my mother, the most formative experience in my life. I really, I taught TM full-time for quite a long time. In fact, here is a picture of a young man with some inmates at MCI Walpole Maximum Security Prison in Walpole, Massachusetts. And at age 26, I, through a series of extraordinary events and supportive nature, I was able to start a program teaching TM in a maximum security prison, which became the subject of a doctoral thesis at Harvard. And that doctoral thesis rattled around the world and created a lot of impacts. And so that was a major, major influence on in my life. Understanding that my own consciousness was the root of my success. The deep inside of us is a well of creative intelligence, where our thoughts come, where, where what structures and animates our body. And so the process of dipping into that field twice a day or more for what, uh, 1970 I started, so it's coming on 50 years, has really made a huge difference. Then the next big influence in my life came serendipitously. I came back from college at age 20, one of my number of times where I came back and I went to quite a few colleges. And my mother decided to put me to good work and uh, asked me to go help a neighbor lady get through a math course. So I would go once a week and help Nora do algebra. And in, during one of those times, she says, Bob, come to the kitchen. I got this uh, blue liquid, uh, this uh, cleaner that I'd like to talk to your mom about. And I want to show it to you. I said, well, sure. So she took me into the kitchen and got some butter, I remember, and put it on my hand and put a drop of this blue uh, liquid cleaner. And she says, now rub it around. And I did. I should put on the cold water, not the hot water, the cold water. And I put my hands under it and dried my hands off. And by gosh, all the oil came off. So I said, well, I'll take that home to my mother. So that was, I think, March of 1970. And so I took it home and I told her mom, Nora said, this will take grease out of anything. And so she took a pair of pants that my 13-year-old brother at the time um, had used as a napkin, as 13-year-old brothers or boys often do. And so she squirted the basic age on, uh, on the oil, on my greasy handprints, and put it in the, in the washing machine, and it all came off. Well, she was pretty fascinated. And she started to investigate because she was on a lot of committees. And again, she was on the dump committee, and this was 1970. This was the first Earth Day. And next week, we're going to have our, our next show is going to be Action on Earth Day. And I'll tell you about who our guest is going to be next week. So there was a tremendous concern. It was the first real upwelling of concern about our environment. Lake Erie had eutrophied, that is, had, you know, become so hypoxic that uh, there wasn't any life left in it. And this was, of course, a very great concern of my mother and others. And so when she found out that these Shackley cleaning products were biodegradable, very biodegradable, and very inexpensive, and worked really, really well, she got fascinated. And in the process of doing that, she started to experiment with the nutritional products and some very long-standing health issues that had, one of which had had her taking 10 aspirin a day just to control the pain, pretty much vanished. Well, that was really pretty much a miracle. So in the fall of 1970, my mother and father decided that, well, this would be something that my mom could do. 
And because my mom, my widow had a one income family and as a school teacher, even a school teacher at a very high level, my dad taught math all over the world for in India for USAID, it was still a school teacher salary. And so the idea of doing good for people, doing good for the environment was really attractive to my mother and to being able to earn income. So the Shackley business started. I didn't have anything to do with Shackley other than to consume the products and it took my mother two years to get me to try the products and finally kind of shamed me into doing it. And I remember leaving with my little bag of nutritional supplements thinking that I was going to get my money back because I had heard there was a money back guarantee. Now, understand that I actually didn't pay for the products. But anyway, a week later, I had the dilemma of having to admit to my mother how much better I felt. So I became a TM teacher, was fully involved with that. And then in 1977, my first child was born, and um, the funding for the prison program finished up, the little paltry funding that there actually was. And I was uh, faced with a choice. What was I going to do with my life? I knew I was a pretty good teacher, and I'd observed my mother enough to know that the Shackley business was really a teaching business, not a sales business per se. And so I went to talk to my mother. and said, okay, mom, um, I've got a fork in the road. Uh, Let's, let's talk Shackley, uh, because I think I might be able to do it. Uh, I've watched you. And so I said, well, what about the business? And so she, I think, kind of gently laid one of her checks down, her monthly checks. And I looked at it, and I can't remember exactly what I said, but I think it might have been something intelligent like, um, is that like per month or per year? She goes, oh, that's per month. And I go, well, okay. So uh, as I recall, she was making considerably more than my father had made at the height of his career two years early when he had died in a car wreck. That's a whole other story of how the Shackley business so deeply impacted my mother's life. So I jumped in and it became really something that was so extraordinarily important. And I think I'm seeing the time at 7, uh, 7.19. You know, I'll quickly review some of the other major influences in, the, uh, in 1999. I found the Pacific Institute, Lou Tyson, the Pacific Institute. That is an organization that teaches applied cognitive psychology. Now, I had been to a number of the courses, and I had done TM for many years. And so when my friend, uh, fellow master coordinator, Gary Burke, told me, Bob, you should come down to Phoenix and, or Tucson, wherever it was, and uh, go through this program with me. I said, I, I did the uh, yeah thing. I said, well, you know, Gary, I'm not sure I really need that. He said, no, just you know, be quiet, come down, get a ticket, come down. And so I said, okay, I, I really respected Gary tremendously. And so I came down and within two hours, I was completely entranced. I was completely sold to this idea of how cognitively we could use our mind more effectively how we create our own realities with our self-talk. From my inner experiences in TM, I had divined some of that, but not nearly to the extent that I did once I really entered into a structured study. And then actually, I was so enthusiastic that I became a facilitator. And for quite a number of years, I just facilitated Pacific Institute programs for Shackley groups. But then some outside groups came, and I eventually, because of the freedom that the Shackley business gave me, I eventually started to work with uh, organizations like the Federal Bureau of Prisons. I worked with prison staffs who were having trouble in the federal system. I worked with the YMCA of the USA, the YMCA of Greater Houston. And it was an extraordinary part of my experience. I'm leaving out some 
big chunks in this narrative, but these are the things I think that have formed the basis, kind of the theoretical and actual basis for what I've experienced in my life and some of the things that I, I think I can teach other people. And so when that settled down in uh, 2008, I had had a big life change in my life. My 30-year marriage ended and uh, we had moved my mother to Fairfield, Iowa in 1984. This is part of the story I haven't gotten to. And I had moved for uh, complex reasons down to Kansas City for 20 years. And when this big life change happened in 2006, I hightailed it back to Fairfield. And so we had established the business, Shackley business in Wellesley, and we reestablished it in Fairfield. My mother was the iconic Shackley lady with the little box of protein balls that a generation or so of kids grew up on. And it was really an extraordinary experience. I was in Kansas City, and again, when life changed in 2006, I came back here. When I came back here, I decided I would be of value. And Dr. Shackley was a very profound thinker. And I actually, I'm going to come close to finishing by reading a little bit from Dr. Shackley's uh, reflections on a philosophy. What he said is that this was the awakening of my relationship with nature. And I've since cultivated every thought that I could recognize in my inner consciousness, or at least endeavored to do so, and built those thoughts into idea. It is well that man's educated consciousness becomes aware of that other side of man, for it is the inner consciousness that is in constant touch to creative intelligence, the director of nature. So Dr. Shackley had a long career as a scientist, as a chiropractor, as a theologian, and in 1956 created products that were the basis of years and years and years of research. So when I started TM and started to find kind of my inner structure and worked with the Shackley business and started to find out based on Dr. Shackley's work about health and the environment, all of those things meshed together. And then when I found the Pacific Institute, I found a kind of a middleware, this powerful understanding of how the structure of our thought determines who we think we are and actually is the gate we don't release our potential at the level of our potential. We release our potential at the level of our habits, attitudes, beliefs, and expectations. And all of the principles that became so steeped in me as I facilitated the program actively for over 10 years really became part of my operating software. So when I came to Fairfield, I decided that sustainability and the environment would be something that would really, really be important because understandings of climate change are, you know, started to really become very, very, very well known. And whatever one's beliefs are about that, you know, Shackley took the extraordinary step in 1999, long before there was an economic or really business reasons, there's all kinds of them now, but really before there was an established business reason, decided to become carbon neutral, climate neutral. So Shackley became the first climate neutral company in the, in the world. And that goes with Dr. Shackley's profound respect for nature and the fact that he was never going to make a product that would harm a human cell or would disturb nature in any way. And that is something that I think is a theme that we want to think about. You know, we're part of nature. We belong here just like a bug or a rock or an elephant or a cornstalk or a mountain. And yet we seem as human beings to have the capacity to either move inside the laws of nature or not move inside the laws of nature. 
And so I would sum the experience of my life and the experience of the techniques and processes that I've learned is a systematic way of returning the structure of my inner consciousness to a greater coherence and harmony with nature. Because my feeling, I was just giving a talk for a little film that's going to be made about regenerative agriculture. And I'm not an expert at regenerative agriculture. I'm the first generation born off the farm on both sides of my family. And I have a big organic garden. And as the executive director of the Sustainable Living Coalition, we do a lot of work in promoting regenerative agriculture and soil carbon sequestration and that kind of thing. But the point I made is that whether we understand how to do it or not, the one thing we human beings need to do is actually begin to return to the fold of the laws of nature. Because as they say, nature owns the stadium and she always bats last. And so the idea that we can create technology that end runs nature, well, so we have uh, antibiotics and they work really well for a while and all of a sudden nature mutates and the bugs become antibiotic resistant. You know, we treat soil like a medium and we put chemical fertilizers on it and pesticides and all that. And lo and behold, there's bugs that, that create resistance. And so one of the themes of this show is going to be, how do we live within the laws of nature in all respects, inside of ourselves, in our relationship with other people, in our relationship with the environment, you know, within our social structures. And so it's going to be a lot of fun just being here with you once a week and looking at things, having guests. So next week, uh, let's talk about what's going to happen next week at 7 p.m. Central. I'm going to have Jen Armento. Jen is a wildlife biologist. And uh, on Tuesday nights, I've done for years a conference call called Shackley Talks. And Jen was one of my interviewees uh, quite a number of years ago. And I was so impressed with her command of what we really need to do to be more in harmony with nature, particularly in that talk with regards to our cleaning products on what we can do about, uh, about toxic cleaners. Toxic cleaners are not good for the environment. They're certainly not good for us. So we're gonna do that. But I'm gonna have Jen on actually on Earth Day, the evening of Earth Day. We're gonna talk more broadly about what Earth Day means and what does it actually mean as individual human beings to take care of the Earth? What should we be thinking about? What should we be doing as individuals, I think oftentimes the whole issue of climate change and environmental degradation and the dead zone in the Gulf that we contribute so vastly to in Iowa and all the other environmental issues, it can be a little bit overwhelming. So we're gonna spend some time deconstructing that. I've got some wonderful guests coming up, one of whom Russ Conser was uh, the head of innovation at Shell Oil and now runs Grass-Fed Exchange. Uh, doing, doing paddock uh, beef uh, grazing, which turns out to be one of the very best ways to get carbon back in the soil. So you got to tune in on seven o'clock on Monday night because we're going to have a whole lot of fun. So wherever you're seeing this, because this is going to be in archive, what I'm going to ask you to do, since this is streaming from Bob Ferguson Network Marketing Professional, go to Facebook, go to Bob Ferguson Network Marketing Professional. You can like the page and Let's see, there's also Bob Ferguson Fitness and Vitality. Uh, that is a Facebook group. You can go to that group. It's a closed group, so you have to knock, but I'll let you in. And we do a lot of talking there, and who knows, we might be doing some live streams from there. 
So I'm just getting going on this, and I hope this was pleasing to everyone, and I hope we can gather our, our team around, our, our little community, and have more of these talks. So until then, I'm going to sign off, end the meeting, and we will talk to you next week, 7 p.m. Central. Bye-bye.